It's another edition of Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead, retired broadcaster. We've been talking about following the money, Ron, and how important this issue is for people who are investors. If you're a neophyte investor and you're, you're thinking you've done the right thing, maybe you're getting punished by fees. And that's what the focus of this two-part series has been on. And we've talked about some of the, the pitfalls here. Let's talk about advisor incentives, because you've pointed out that it's pretty easy to be incentivized for something that pays you more. That's the one you're going to pay attention to, right? Exactly. And if you're selling, if you're selling investments, it's very easy to get incentivized by which investment offers the best returns versus which investment offers the client the best return. So you have to understand how advisors get incentivized and, and what they get incentivized. And so there's six different ways here. And the first is that a straight management fee, which is transparent and uh, it's charged directly for your account. So, so say you had like a fund that charges a flat one and a quarter percent a year. That's, there's no... There's no hazy issue here. Not too much. Or, or let's say, uh, Gord, I hire you to manage my money. You tell me that you're going to uh, charge three quarters percent, a percent, or one and one a quarter percent, or whatever. But you're charging a fee based on the total assets I have with you. The fee is going to come out of the account quarterly. Well, uh, that's pretty transparent. The second is from fees that they receive from a company uh, when they do a new issue. So. If you're going public, if you're taking a, a Gord Whitehead Corporation and taking it public, and you want to sell shares to the general public, the way that it's usually done is you hire an investment firm and you pay them a fee to find buyers for your stock. And so the fees go up depending on how aggressive or how hard it is to sell. If you've got a company, for example, like Hydro One, which is Ontario Hydro, came out a couple of years ago, the demand for it was probably a hundred times the amount of, of shares that were available. So they didn't have to pay very much to get investment firms to move it. But you know, uh, the the old saying in the underwriting departments is is if something is turns out to be a pig, you put some lipstick on it and push it out the door. And putting lipstick on a pig is usually increasing the incentives to sell it. So if 1% or 2% doesn't work, uh, you raise it to 5% or 10%, and all of a sudden you really get people's attention because, you know, if you, you sell a million dollars worth of something, you can make a hundred grand for yourself. So there's a big incentive. Investors need to be very careful. They're buying a new issue just to understand how big that incentive is because the bigger the incentive, the more aggressive the issue is. And sometimes these fees, Ron, are embedded in the product, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Sometimes you won't see the fees. Like if you're buying a bond, uh, generally a fee is built in, or you're buying a GIC, a fee is built in, or you're buying insurance, uh, a fee can be built in. Now, if you're buying these things in what's called a managed account, those fees are stripped out, so you're not to double-dipping the client. So if I'm charging you uh, half a percent a year to look after your money, I'm buying you GICs because they just happen to be paying the best. Uh, that commission gets stripped out of the GIC, so you're not paying me the management fee and the built-in fee in the product. Okay, what about, uh, you know, if you buy a stock, there's usually a transaction fee, right? Usually there's a transaction fee to buy, and there's usually also a transaction fee to 
sell. And so the incentive here is that if you're paying your advisor by the trade, the incentive can be for them to want you to trade more aggressively. So instead of doing, you know, maybe one or two trades a month, uh, they're getting you to do four or five trades a week. And that increased volume, you know, if the investor or the advisor is an extraordinarily trader, extraordinarily good trader, well, maybe that makes sense. But in most cases, uh, they call that churning. And the broker is making money by the transaction, whether you do or not. Okay, and the final one here is ongoing trailer fees paid to the broker. What does that mean? Well, for example, insurance is a very good example of that. If you buy an insurance policy, typically there's fees that come out of the capital every year to profit the insurance company. But to to ensure the ongoing maintenance of that contract, because sometimes there'll be a one-time payout, big payout, and you'll hold an insurance contract for 20 or 30 or 40 years. And so to incentivize the agent of sold it to you, Typically, there is a fee that comes out every year of the, the, the profits that the insurance company is making on this, and it's called a trailer, and um, often it's not, it's, it's not a lot, maybe a quarter point or an eighth of a point, but it's still a, a fee that's embedded and paid out to you regularly um, so that if, if you're having to, if you've sold the policy and the person's not buying anything else from you for the next 30 or 40 years, but they want an appointment every year to see you and to talk about the policy, well, it's, it's paying you to, to, to continue to support that client. And there was one more that I missed, Gord, and I, I just want to mention that. It's from referral fees. In other words, if, uh, if, if an agent works for one company and they refer someone to another company or to another division in their company, sometimes there's referral fees embedded in there. So if, uh, if you're on the investment side, at the bank and you refer someone to get insurance or you refer someone to, to for estate planning, there's often referral fees that will come back to you. Okay, now there are some danger signs that we want to watch for here, right? Yeah, and we've talked about these. Uh, and so if you're doing high-volume trades and you pay by the transaction, uh, the broker's making money whether you do or not. Uh, if you continually steer toward products that have high commission fees embedded in them, You've got to ask yourself, is the broker on your side or, or looking after themselves? Number three, if you're showing products where the fee that you're being paid isn't transparent and the, the individual is not being transparent with you on how much they make, that's uh, a real danger sign. And finally, uh, if you're showing a lot of aggressive new issues, because as we talked about, often the more aggressive the issue, uh, the more the fees that are embedded in this. So uh, usually the higher the risk, the higher the fee. Okay, let's talk about invest incentives rather for management of securities you are buying. Now, with companies, you have to look at how management of those companies is getting paid. It does is management being incentivized by given really high salaries and lots of stock options where uh, frankly if if things go bad a stock option could expire worthless, but you never put any money into it. So, you know, you want to have management that's incentivized because they own a lot of stock themselves. And if they own a lot of shares, then uh, their interests align with yours. 
And so the more shares that management owns, the more of an alignment there is, where if they don't own a lot of stock, they can be afflicted by what's called short-termism, doing things short-term to get the stock price up so they can cash in their options, and, and away they go. So I always look for um, a, a chef that, frankly, eats the same soup that I'm eating, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, and if you are an investor and you receive annual financial reports, you can usually see that breakout. It'll show you the board of directors and who they are and how many shares they hold or if they don't hold shares. That's a good indicator, right? It's a very good indicator, and, and it's one of the things that I always do before I buy shares for myself is I take a look to see how management's interests are aligned. How are they getting paid? Are they are they getting paid with uh, options and and uh, that make their interests unaligned to mine that make them far more short term. So if their options are about to expire, they'll do something that might push the stock price up, like make an acquisition or take on a huge amount of debt and buy shares back, things like that. So I'm looking for an alignment there. Okay, so now we want to talk about how you protect yourself. The first one is fear professional advice that's especially remunerative to the advisor. Yeah, we call that in a perverse incentive. And the higher the incentive, uh, the more it can twist people's minds to think they're doing the best for you, when really all they're doing is the best for them. Can we ask the financial question about to the advisor, like, what's in this for you? Is, it, is that okay to do that? That's okay to do that. And I mean, frankly, if, if an advisor gets uh, defensive and he won't talk to you about that, well, uh, here again, uh, that's a danger sign. You, 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 need, to, you, you need to be aware of, of how these incentives are being paid and what they're being paid and who they're being paid to by whom they're being paid so that you know what the in person you're dealing with, how they're being incentivized which will give you an idea whose side of the investment equation they're on, yours or theirs. And, and this episode's called Follow the Money, so should we try to determine whether there's a conflict of interest here? Like to say, that that smells a little cheesy to me. Absolutely. You want to ask for the, what financial incentives are for the advisor to sell you the product and how much they are in both percentage and dollar terms. And as, as we repeatedly talked about, the higher the dollars, the higher the temptation to favor the big wallet which is paying the fees and not you. Is it easy to tell if, uh, if somebody's getting paid from multiple sources here? Is there a way to determine that? Well, here again, when I talk about an intermediary, often I'm talking about uh, a person that's got a conflict of interest. So as we talked about with investment firms, well, the investment firms are getting money from the people that they're raising capital for, but they're also turning around and managing your money and typically when they're managing your money some of the securities that they're going to be putting in your portfolio are companies that they're on the other side of the table of raising capital for giving advice to so you, you have to understand the conflicts of interest and especially you know if if a, if a company is doing a big big uh, new issue or they've gotten themselves into trouble and they're raising money, well, make sure that all of a sudden the recommendations haven't changed to buy or everybody likes this company all of a sudden because um, there's a very profitable new issue coming down the pipeline. So you want to be very, very careful and uh, make sure 
that um, if, if they're a financial intermediary, like I say, with uh, the credit rating agencies, the accounting firms, they're paid by the people that they're doing the work for. And so there's a natural bias in there. And you just have to be aware that that bias happens. And uh, one of the things that I've always recommended to people is that you purchase third-party research. And in Canada, I mean, I get Investment Reporter every week. I get Value Line. I get a number of other publications. And these guys only make money from subscriptions to their research. So they will put out a piece on a particular company. And unless that research is high, has a high standard, if uh, they consistently produce losing ideas, they won't be in business long. But you look at Value Line and Investment Reporter, uh, they've both been around for over 50 years. And the reason that the subscriptions stay high is because they consistently produce money-making uh, uh, ideas, and they don't have a conflict of interest because they're, they don't manage money, number one. And number two, they don't provide financial services to the big companies that they're covering. Okay, you, you, you put down a note here, beware of infomercials, because they can often be disguised, can't they? Those are really tricky. I think it's gotten a little better over the last few years, but uh, typically, especially on some of the financial shows in the U.S. and Canada, where there'll be a 15-minute discussion where there's a panel, and it looks like they're asking piercing questions to, um, to a CEO on the other side of, of the, uh, the desk. And most of these are just softball questions. If you're paying for an infomercial, believe me, nobody's going to ask you tough questions on on uh, why your your drill results have sucked for the last two quarters, or, or <laughs> why your why your mill that is supposed to be producing gold why is it only running at forty percent capacity or something? They don't ask those kind of questions. So really beware of infomercials and don't be influenced by them because they're not uh, they're not a documentary and they're biased. Okay, and the final one is buy companies where the management interests are aligned with yours. And, and, and we've ta- that, that's basically the underlying fundamental of this. You've referenced that several times. Buy companies where management has lots of stock. So if the stock price goes down and they own millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of it, believe me, you're going to ruin their Saturday morning golf game. Okay, <laughs> right. So follow the money. That's the rule. All one, the money. One more question here before we wrap up today. This comes from Judy. She wants to invest in a company that makes hearing aids. It seems so many people I know have bought or are going to be buying hearing aids. Is there a hearing aid company on the stock market that you would consider a good place to invest? I did some reading about Sonova Holding AG. Well, Sonova Holdings is a Swiss company that literally has about 24% of the global hearing aid market. And I think that this coincides with the show we did two weeks ago. We were talking about megatrends. And as people get older, I don't know about you, Gord, but I played in a, in a high school marching band. And I played trombone, so I was in the brass section. And uh, as a marching band, to, to make the sound, you actually blew your brains out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, we didn't use earplugs back then. So I find that the 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 lower the the lower frequencies, I'm having a problem hearing. Uh, half my friends now, maybe two thirds of my friends, tells you how old I'm getting, have some kind of this uh, hearing assistance. So this is a huge, huge trend. Now Sonova 
is a company that's trading at about 35 times earnings. So I think the company right now is a little expensive, and I think the markets are a little expensive. So what I'd really recommend is that if you want to own a company like this, and even though it trades in Switzerland, uh, you can buy it, it, it in either uh, directly off the Swiss exchange or it trades over the counter, it's called, in the U.S. But what I do, because I think markets are high and I think people have to be a little bit careful after we've had such a big run that have taken, taken everything back to virtually its all-time highs, is just wait for a pullback till things get a little cheaper. And uh, this is a trend like um, that I think has long-term potential because uh, I don't know anybody uh, in their late 60s, early 70s where their hearings come back. You need, a, you, need, you need hearing aid to help you with that. Well, full disclosure, I've been wearing them now for close to a decade, and, and mine comes from hunting back in the day and, and driving around in hot rods with loud engines. Uh, and then working in radio for a long time, too, which didn't help. But, I mean, this is, uh, and I know my audiologist has told me, as an example, he said, my showroom or my waiting room used to be full of elderly people. Now, he's seeing more and more younger and middle-aged people showing up because I think the vanity aspect of, of having a hearing problem is fading. It used to be, oh, I don't want to admit that I've got a flaw. Now it's, you know, you're missing a lot if you're not getting hearing aids, let me tell you. Yeah, if you crank the music up to 100 decibels and then you turn the hearing up, you can even get higher decibels. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you get it even louder now. Okay, there you go, Judy. We hope that answers your question about companies to invest in in the hearing cycle. There, and there are several of them, as you say. That's one that she singled out. But there are a number of them in that industry, and, and I think there's a lot of growth opportunity there, as we discussed. Okay, we're back again next week with another edition of Making Money. If you have a question for Ron, uh, don't forget you can reach us through letsmakemoney.ca. That's our website. You can hear Ron's Money Minutes twice daily on CFCW Radio. You can also find the podcast there at cfcw.com. And remember, if you have a question, send us an email. We'd be happy to help you out. On behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead. We'll talk to you again next time. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.